Hi everyone, today we are doing a very special episode because my own husband will be coming on as a guest. John Bladel is married to Megan Bladel and he works in the creative realm doing videography and writing and photography and all of that artsy stuff. He's very talented. He is also very intelligent and smart when it comes to philosophy and theology. He graduated from Moody Bible Institute, so we are very excited to have him on. And today we are talking about Christian misogyny. So with that, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey guys, welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm Megan. And I'm Jackie. And today we are interviewing John Bladel, my husband, about Christian misogyny. But before we begin, John, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are? Yeah, I am definitely married to one of the hosts of the podcast. I wanted to congratulate you on actually making it this far without interviewing the person that has been in the apartment for every single interview. That's a, a very... And deals with most of our tech issues. And that's that's also true. Most of our breakdowns. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's not so bad. Sometimes it is, but you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I uh, I've been working in the creative field ever since I graduated. Graduated Moody Bible Institute with my degree in communications. Currently pursuing a master's of divinity in uh, pastoral studies from Moody Theological Seminary, uh, pastimes, really like hanging out in uh, the Discord with friends I made at college, uh, reading, and uh, yeah, those are probably the Cliff's Notes of, of me regarding, you know, general things and not like the super deep and like very <laughs> political things and spiritual things we're going to talk about, but uh, yeah. So, John, why did you want to talk about misogyny in Christian context? And why do you think it's good to talk about this? Other than my seething hatred for the female sex. Um, that's, Which is apparent in the fact that he married one. Yeah. Um, no, uh, I mean, I grew up as a Christian conservative homeschooler. Um, you know, I, I feel like at this point, it's my wife knows so much of what I'm going to say that uh, I feel like it's kind of repetitive, but... You know, the Jackie doesn't know, right? Um, but growing up as a conservative Christian homeschooled kid, I mean, I've had a really wide, you know, uh, that's what I'm looking for. I've had a wide variety of experiences growing up. Um, I remember when I was really young, being part of like one of those hyper Baptist crowds where uh, it was made clear to me when I was young I was asked why you know women were essentially wearing all these denim skirts and stuff like that and my mom said I remember her wording it was oh they think that uh, only a woman's husband should see the outline of her body which being a young boy I was like I didn't even think about it but it's one of those things that you know you kind of just sticks in your head uh, but uh, you know we didn't stick around there for very long uh and so then I was in different kind of homeschooled co-ops, uh, made different friends from lots of different types of homeschooled crowds. There were definitely like the super homeschooled kids and then the not very homeschooled kids. Uh, but then when I was 11, my family was a family that helped plant a church uh, in our hometown. And so because that was more what would be considered kind of a seeker friendly church, we wound up 
being around a lot more of kind of unchurched people typically. And so most of my youth group experience was with, you know, the the public schooled kids, uh, you know, which if anyone's homeschooled and is listening to this, you you know exactly. It's one of those things where it's kind of like, oh, so which god in the pantheon did you worship, sinner? Uh, so, but but if anything, this I just kind of want to point out that this was something I was really aware of growing up is that I was kind of othered in that regard because I was, you know, a conservative homeschooled kid. Like I, I kind of knew everywhere I was go, I would be an anomaly. Uh, it was always a question, you know, why were you out of school? And as I grew older, I kind of realized how many stigmas came along with that. And one of the ones I always really rejected for a while in high school was sexism. Uh, that was one where, you know, as a white, straight, conservative Christian guy, being in high school, the number one thing you just really love doing is pissing everyone off. And I fell into that really, really hard. And I really enjoyed that for a long period of time in my life. And obviously, this is all to my shame, but, you know, I won't go into the excruciating details out of respect for my wife and myself, but it wasn't something I realized until I got to, you know, my time at Moody when I really started to see how entrenched in everyone else's life that sexism was, that it really started to make me mad. It was something that I started to really kind of analyze in myself. And it was something I honestly didn't even know happened because I grew up in, you know, a megachurch at first and then a plant off of megachurch that was all very seeker-friendly. You know, I'm not using seeker-friendly in a bad term here, and like as a bad way, it's like a slur, but it definitely wasn't your growing up, right. Megan, and you've been over your baggage that came with that. And when we first started dating, I mean... Megan knows I was blown away. I mean, I would get shaky with anger at hearing the way that people in those circles treated women in particular. That's just something that I'm not okay with anyone treating anyone like that. And it was always shocking to me because growing up, I both of my parents were extremely present. And although it was never like explicitly said like women are less than or anything like that, like, that wasn't something I ever really thought about. If you were like, you know, do men and women make the same amount of money? I'd be like, are they doing the same amount of work? Like, it was always very meritocracy for me. I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, if I got into the octagon with Ronda Rousey, she'd knock me out instantly. Like, a, that's not a contest. Um, but it didn't really come to the forefront of my mind until I really started meeting people at Moody Bible Institute and hearing stories of women. And it kind of came to a head in my communications program when uh, my senior year, uh, there was just kind of this session where all of the, the women in my class started talking about all of the various forms of misogyny they experienced, not even specifically at Moody, but in the world at large. Mm -hmm. And it really made me think about what part I had played in that unconsciously and consciously. And it kind of made me realize how much hatred of women in Christianity uh, is kind of an unnatural outgrowth out of a twisting of hatred of sin. Which I think, one, comes from respect and love for church fathers, because if you actually read the church fathers and don't just say you've read church fathers, you come across some really offensive things, and you hear some really awful things being said about women in particular. And that's 
tough to wrestle with because it's one of those instances where, you know, there's been so many scandals in the Christian world over the past, you know, however long you want to guess about misconduct or specifically relation to women. And then you look back in time at these other church fathers and it's like, okay, well, so how long before we start just glossing over all the awful stuff these dudes did to women, right? Because it's just convenient. And so I really wanted to kind of understand why that position got there. And more specifically, how I kind of found myself in the position of casually being okay with viewing women as inherently evil and inherently sinful, which was absolutely a position I held for a a period of time. I would have never tried to argue it. I would have never consciously said women are sinful. Would I have said that women are temptresses? Absolutely. Would I have said that women enjoy tempting? Absolutely. Would I have said that uh, women's empowerment is in some way either sinful or uh, misappropriation of some type of gift? I absolutely would have thought all those things. Which is interesting because, you know, you brought up church fathers and we see that in Augustine a lot. And (laughs) Jackie and I have talked about this with Augustine. When you actually read some of his opinions of women and his theological views of women, it's like appalling to us. We're like shocked living in the modern world. But when you look at Augustine's life and Augustine's struggle, he was essentially a sex addict of sorts before he was a Christian and that was very much one of his vices so do you see a correlation you know you're talking about you know the hatred of women almost being a warped hatred of sin do you see that in like some of the church fathers and then that continuing into the church today especially around the culture that it's stuck in i think to a certain degree we're more conscious of it in the west which is good um it might be one of the only decent outcomes of um you know purity culture in that regard is that we're at least all very aware of sinning against each other in sexual ways uh, that's something that I actually just uh, was reading in Ephesians was Paul talking about, you know, embracing holiness in your body and be careful to not sin against a brother in this regard because the Lord is an avenger. Like, that's a pretty rough indictment. So I think it's something that's good that we're talking about, but at the same time, we don't like talking about it because it's awkward, people get really angry at you, and also the topic of feminism, liberalism, and all that stuff right now is just so at the front of everyone's mind when it comes to, like, schisms and stuff like that. But that's why you have to talk about it. You have to make pe- – you have to – it's like getting an immunization shot. You have to kind of get a little bit of it to understand why in deconversion stories when, you know um, – yeah, I'll, I'll drag Gunger on that one, uh, his podcast, where he talks about uh, – what is it? The, the liturgist um, – where it, there's a bunch of people he brings on there who talk about how Christianity was repressive to their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? And frequently when it comes to women, the repression is not always invalid. <laughs> That's the rough thing for me to say. Because again, cannot stand that type of Christian liberalism. Hate it. But that's all the more reason why I should bring up the fact, like, it is valid when you have an emotional criticism. If you've been emotionally abused, sexually abused, that's a real thing. 
I'd like to point out, it is not the church that hurt you. It is a person at a church or people at a church. It's not the church as a whole. The church as a whole does not sin against people. That can't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's important to talk about it. And it's important to figure out where that came from, specifically in regards to, like, the earliest Christian thinking. Like, it can be really easy if you're trying to believe that Christianity is sexist to do that. It can be really easy to look and be like, well, it just confirms my bias. But it's something that you kind of got to take an uncomfortable look at and specifically starting in yourself. I think it's Peter Hitchens who talks about Christianity is, you know, if you want justice for the rest of the world, you have to demand it first for yourself. And if you want forgiveness for yourself, you must first forgive the world. And so, yeah, it all kind of started with me being like, okay, so where did that start with me and why? Like the scary thing to ask yourself is like, did it start with Christianity? Like, that's the scary thing to have to ask yourself because, you know, what if it did? And you can never, if you're ever, I think I, I repeated this the other night. I don't know which philosopher it was I follow, but he said, if you ever get to a point where you have to choose between Christ or the truth, follow the truth because you're going to find out that Christ was already there. So it was something I kind of did because it made me uncomfortable, but it was good in the end. So how have you seen that in your own life? So looking back when, you know, you're kind of asking those questions of like, okay, so where did these thought patterns or actions come from? You know, what did that look like? Um, there's an entire conversation about just like struggling with lust that could happen right here. And so we're just going to shelve that because you guys have talked about that recently. And just And, and that could be its <laughs> a conversation in its own right. But... I mean, being a teenage guy in the West, it's a thing you're going to struggle with. I mean, welcome to the struggle bus. That's, or a teenage woman. It, yes. It's, it's just one of those so things where it, right, it's, it's, it's thrown in your face constantly. And it's so incredibly tough. And uh, it's really, really difficult when you're the children of parents who have literally no idea how to keep any of that from you. And then questioning if they even should. Because do we want him to build up a tolerance? And I think in that regard, I did. And that was a good thing. Because I, if I trace it back to my earliest memory, like the earliest time I can remember feeling really uncomfortable with this was the seeker-friendly church I attended, it was made very, very clear. This I had the exact opposite story as Megan, basically. It was made very clear that men were perverts, men were predators. You are not good. Your sexuality is not good. If you do get married, your wife might deign to want to have sex with you and when she does better thank your lucky stars and make sure it's great for her because she might not want to again women are only emotional and they can do no wrong and so to me growing up and feeling you know disgusted with myself like that because one i'm already going to be disgusted with myself because of the sins i see arising in my own heart being a sincere conservative christian and then hearing that, I'm immediately going to start hating myself. I'm going to go, wow, okay, so I'm a predator. And if I don't control myself, I'm capable of doing all these awful things. And I already do these awful things secretly. So what am I capable of? And the weird outworking of this, and this was the mind-blowing thing that I had to realize only later in college, was it is a very easy jump to go from I am evil to sexuality is evil. And then all of a sudden, when you see teenage women, teenage girls growing up in a culture that desperately wants them to be sexualized 
that desperately is trying to groom them, that is desperately attempting to make them feel awful about themselves and essentially turn themselves into something they are not unnaturally. And women are, are struggling to, to feel accepted and feel comfortable in their body and actually feel empowered. Um, to me, that was a threat. Because to me, I went, I hate my sexuality. It's disgusting. It's perverted. How dare you try and gain power from that? That's disgusting to me. Because to me, it was only evil all the time. And I don't, and I do think that's kind of connected. I mean, Luther wrote that even within marriage, there was some sin in sexuality. Even within marriage, it is not without sin. Okay. Not good. <laughs> Very not good. Um, and so to me, it was this instance of, I wasn't viewing it as like they were attempting to tempt me or they were seductresses. For me specifically, it was, this is something I despise and is broken about me. So what you're telling me is that the thing about you that is inherently that you should despise and is broken for you, you're trying to gain power through, that's just evil. To me, it would be no different than someone who is a sociopath manipulating people mm -hmm. or using their emotions against them, right? It, to me, it was something that was inherently sinful. And if any girl was trying to feel comfortable with themselves or, you know, fight against the million voices telling them that they weren't enough, to me, that was just, oh, you're sinning. That is inherently sinful because how can you feel good about something that I hate so desperately? And so I spent a lot of time in high school wrestling with this and struggling with it. And really, I mean, I was a nightmare to be around because of that. Then I got to Moody and my experience was immediately reversed, but the messaging was the same, which is weird. That's the weird thing that you and I like bonded with while we were dating was I got to Moody and to my credit, I had developed a fair amount of self-control in terms of like not sexualizing women I saw based on how they dressed. Like not staring, being able to just be out in the world, which if you're a human being, that's going to happen. That's one of those things where you shouldn't have to try and control the way women dress. But Moody did that. And I didn't get why. Because here I was being told my entire life I was a predator and I needed to gain self-control. Now I did, but nothing changed. Now, in fact, there are paradoxically some women on the campus who are into covering up and like want to agree to my view. And I'm like, hmm, that's strange. And there's one story I had about my sophomore year. There was a guy in a class who like got up and thanked all of the girls in the class for dressing respectfully and, you know, giving deference to, you know, the brothers in Christ and the professor. I was like, well, does anything, anyone have a response to that? And I was like, yeah, I do. And then I just unloaded on this guy. And I was like, uh, they shouldn't have to like care about your personal struggles. <laughs> I'm assuming that if you need these Christian girls on this campus to cover up for you, you never go to the beach. You never go to a concert in the summertime. You never get any type of magazine. You never go on the internet because my goodness, if you can't handle homeschool jean shorts, my goodness, you must just be a mess out in the real world. And people thought it was a, a decent thing to think. And I was like, okay, so may, maybe there's something to this whole thing of like, it's not women's responsibility to care about my personals in life. So, and it was just obnoxious to go from, you know, 
you're a predator gains some self-control to you're a predator, you have no self-control, therefore we're going to make women cover up for you. Because then I started hearing about women complaining and being like, oh, we have all these oppressive rules. I'm like, it's not my fault. I didn't do this to you. I'm not the one who made this the norm. Like, I, it was, I just felt so pissed off about it. And once again, I kind of went back to, I was like, well, maybe they're just all complainers, you know? And so it was like this just stupid back and forth I found myself in because I didn't know how to handle my own sexuality. I, I didn't revisit for a long time the idea that maybe craving sexuality and a healthy way of actually expressing that, which you can express your sexuality as a single person in a healthy, non-sinful way, outside of having sex. That's a real thing. Christopher Yuan talks about that a lot in Holy Sexuality. Um, it wasn't until I really kind of paid attention to that and I was like, oh, uh, maybe I'm not inherently vile for wanting this type of thing. Maybe there's something actually God-given in this. And that was ultimately what kind of started the turn. Yeah, it's interesting to hear it from a guy's perspective because I know that Megan and I were both raised in cultures where it was very much put on the woman. Like, you have to cover up. You have to protect the eyes of your brothers. And, like, it made us feel like there was something inherently sinful about our bodies, about, like, oh, you can't show your shoulder. I'm like, what is so sexual about a shoulder? Like, the boys will have trouble. Like, the boys can't control themselves. And it goes back to the lust conversation that we just had with Claire, which I don't know if any of you guys listened, but she said she had a quote. It was, we make a lot of excuses for men and their vices, and we don't leave room for women to fall in a certain way. A burden of virtue of women. So it's almost kind of like what you're saying. Like women are, if they're in any way struggling with themselves or with their sexuality in your brain, you interpreting that as we're trying to tempt when really we're just living our lives and struggle with things as well and trying to accept our own bodies. But with that narrative, it's harmful to women and it's also super harmful to men. Right. It's, it, it's yeah. not good to tell you you're inherently a predator. If you tell someone all day, every day, they very lack self-control. Yeah. Right. It's very like, almost like an, you're an animal. Like, yeah, exactly. It's you know, you control. have no self-dignity or self-control or worth. So expect better we'll out of you the men in an environment you. that you'll exactly. thrive in and, and that was ultimately so the story of my senior year of all these women complaining about it, it was in the gym it was the fact that you couldn't wear tights you couldn't wear leggings or something like that you had to wear some type of short over it mm-hmm. which like they were all complaining about it and saying like it's all the christian men they were very much lumping in all and everything or whatever and then I finally like exploded in the class and just was yelling. And I was like, if you, I was like, I will make a deal with every woman in this class that if you never say the all men thing again, you can point out any man on this campus who said something sexist to you and I will scream at him for you because I'm sick of hearing this. I went out of my way to get self-control and now all I'm being told is I'm a predator and I'm sick of it. And that was kind of when I started, like it, it fully started clicking in my brain. I was like, wait. I'm not angry at women. I'm angry at the way that I've been told to view myself, the way that other people have said I can't help myself, and then the fact that at the end of the day, I really did feel like I couldn't help myself. At the end of the day, I really did feel like I was a victim of myself. You're not a victim of yourself. No temptation has overcome you that is not natural to man. And understanding that and just getting down to the end of that line and being like 
men and women are both broken sexually in the, in, in the West. That's the end of the story. They're broken in such profoundly different ways, though. And for men, I think it's much, much, much more public because it's the vice that gets like glorified almost mm. you know because you hear it even in like the secular circles of feminism where it's like why is it that if a man has a lot of sexual partners she's a player but if a woman does she's a slut and that own conversation being aside it is kind of a genuine question to ask like why is that why are women also encouraged in secular culture to sexualize themselves constantly yeah. it's for the male gaze it's because that's just another way that you're encouraged to turn yourself into a commodity. Now, I find there's great benefit in allowing sisters in Christ to dress however they need to when the weather's hot. I worked on a sod farm in the middle of like the summer heat. I know you got to dress certain kind of ways to stay cool and stay healthy. That's just a, its own conversation. But the level of that conversation of being like oh well for you know men it's this very public thing that you know comes with a lot of shame in in christian circles it's you know embarrassing it's degrading and again you, you as a man you're instinctively going to know that the response is going to be like you have no self-control you're a predator you don't know where you're going to go every single person every guy who struggles with this temptation, who struggles with lust, is a Ravi Zacharias waiting to happen. And it's not true. Mm. I don't remember what that article was. Uh, there was an article that was written right after the whole RZIM thing exploded. Yeah. And he was like, if you're a guy who thinks you're capable of that, get some help. Right. Like, you're... <laughs> well, I think too, like, and, and all of this is obviously within the context of Christianity and Christian culture. And I think it's important to know you know, like the Billy Graham rule, right? Like men in pastoral leadership not meeting one-on-one -on -one with a woman. And if, if that's a personal preference or rule, whatever, that aside, it's the reason it's in place is because women are inherently seen as a threat, as dangerous, that at any moment a guy could slip up and accidentally kiss her or sleep with her and or that she's a temptress that she's coming in for counseling but really her real goal is she wants to seduce you and like you're saying you know if you're the if 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 that is going to slip you up then you should be in therapy <laughs> right or even to, to the degree that of manipulation and i mean i don't think we give enough credit to one how sinful that extreme manipulation you see in these extreme circumstances of, you know, public Christian thought leaders who have this secret double life, we simultaneously let them off too easily by saying that the average person is capable of that because they very much are not. And two, we're also not taking it, you know, seriously enough in that we're genuinely shocked by it. But we should also view that as an extra level because people are like, oh, well, what was wrong with what with what Ravi did? I, I would be I would be tempted to say and I, I would be curious to hear comments on this. I think the majority of people that really thought about it, the main issue behind that would be sexuality. Mm. It was it would be the sex part, not the manipulation, the lying the spiritual abuse behind all of it, the twisting of scripture that happened there, the false teaching, the cronyism within his own ministry, all these things, it's almost like the Western avarice behind it is like, 
overlooked, but it's like, no, 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 no. That very much changes the essential component of this to something that's insane. A pastor who slips up and, you know, has an accidental emotional affair with a woman that he is counseling is in such a different ballpark. It's not even funny than that. But there are guys out there who think they're just on track to become these, like, serial rapists because it's all they've ever been told. And they'll condemn themselves and have no grace with themselves. But having no grace with themselves leads them to hating women. Because they can't look inside and go, I was made to crave something. I was made to be in relationship with someone. This is the ultimate end of the biology God gave us. That is the height. The The entire point of the human biology is to get these parts in those positions to reproduce. We know this. That is a scientific fact. That's tough. Especially as men in the West. That's tough. You have my sympathies. Just because you say you have your sympathy doesn't mean you have to make an excuse, though. And so understanding that for for me, and I'll only speak to myself at this point, for me, the grace came in when I started having grace with myself. Mm. And it made me realize that maybe for me, my manifestation, the manifestation of my broken sexuality is it's wanting this thing that's forbidden. It's wanting this thing that I know I can't have. But understanding why it's there, kind of understanding how that naturally arose in me, knowing that, one, it really wasn't that novel in the end, and that there's a lot of people who deal with that. But then, two, women are dealing with it, too, but for them, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. For them, it's different because they're very much experiencing the brunt of it. it. You know, the exteriorization of men's struggles affects women, which is really, really unfortunate. And I think in certain ways, there's definitely ways where women exteriorizing their own baggage can affect men. I just think it's a lot more of a one-way street coming from men to women in that regard. And so women are very much attempting to try and figure out a way to deal with this you know, problem of unchecked male attraction, unchecked male aggression right. in all of these ways coming from whatever source it is. And so there's kind of two ways you can respond to that. And I stopped blaming women for those responses. I stopped being like, you know what? You kind of have a right to be mad that there are a lot of guys out there who can't control their gaze. You have a right to be that. I will always push back and be like, that that ain't me. I understand. It ain't me. But I get that that's a valid thing to be upset about. Mm-hmm. And on the opposite end of that, understanding that there are women out there who genuinely still feel as though they themselves are sinful. That they themselves are disgusting and in some way unholy. And I would just feel absolutely awful if any woman would, like, read Church Fathers or read anything and think that God made them to be anything other than holy and specifically beautiful in unique feminine ways that shouldn't, aren't touched by the male gaze, aren't touched by male aggression, aren't touched by male attraction, that there is a certain undirtyable part of you that men very much want to shame you for because it's something that they themselves can't control and it's tough to have to admit that as a guy because it's very very easy to kind of you know pass blame make it not your problem be like well you make it so easy to be tempted okay dude yeah and if it wasn't the woman in the pew next to you it's a billboard on the highway Mm -hmm. it's an ad on Facebook okay 
that that temptation is always going to be there because the temptation is arising within you mm. that's not some that's not their that is not their cross to bear they're bearing their own cross and in are the crosses different weights absolutely but we all carry it differently and it just sucks that that feels like a grace that in super conservative circles can't be extended because in those super conservative circles, there's just no grace for sin to begin with, especially in the instance of, of sexual sin. We were just talking about this the other night, actually, about how like that is a sin that for some reason, for I would argue bad exegetical reasons, but for that reason, it is such an insanely like top level sin mm-hmm. in everyone's mind in the West for Christians and I think it comes from a reactionary position where it's like oh well the world is super sexual so we're going to become sexless husks um, but I always like to remind people like do you know what one of like the lower levels in Dante's Inferno was sexual sin <laughs> like this is very much a culturally shamed thing mm-hmm. so learn to have the grace with yourself to be able to struggle you know, dead things don't struggle. That's an important thing to remember yeah. is if you are eaten up, if you are consumed by this and you're being consumed with shame to the point where, like, you can't eat, okay, like, that's going to cause more problems than it's going to solve now. You, you need to be able to have the grace with yourself to be able to struggle well and understand that your struggle mm-hmm. is proof that you are, in fact, alive. Dead things don't don't struggle. But that that struggling has work to do on the outside of just you. This isn't just a matter of you getting self-control for you. It's you getting self-control so that you can extend that grace to the women in your life who might be damaged in that way. Who might genuinely really have issues with their, with their body and don't really know what to do with it. And you demanding of them that they cover up that they cater towards you that you're essentially demanding that they sanctify you mm-hmm. why where is that ever in in the bible that it is someone else's problem it's a community's problem you need to get connected to your community i highly doubt there would ever be a place where it would be recommended that every person of a specific sex in a congregation kowtow to someone's pet sin Mm -hmm. i just i don't i don't think that's anywhere textual i want to thank you for your humility i think it's it's a very humbling thing to have to look back on our lives and realize where we have um you know whether our faults or outside faults come to wrong conclusions and hurt ourselves and possibly others as well. Um, But I think it's very admirable to be able to look back on that and grow from it and learn from it and move forward because of it. And so as you've looked back on your own story and your experience and even just what you've seen in Christian culture at large, what is the way going forward or what advice would you have for people navigating this? Um, for men specifically, um, 
examine your own motivations in hating your own sin. That would be one. Mm. A lot of times there's pietism behind hating your own sin to a degree that is unhealthy Mm. because that is something I've had to embrace and re-embrace and re-embrace my entire life. And as someone who's really philosophical and really high-minded and really wants to really grasp, you know, the mysteries and dig down deep into that, I can explain a philosophical concept. If Christ died for one of your sins, which is of infinite offense to an infinitely holy God, he de facto died for all of them. That's, you, you can't say that he died for specific ones, but the ones that you somehow chose to sin, which show me something that's a sin that you didn't choose to do, I'll wait. Um, I've definitely heard people be like, yeah, the only sins I sin are unintentional cool um (laughs) but you have to understand that at a heart level that all of your sins are covered that you know it's christ demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners he died okay have the grace to not want to like just die every time you commit that pet sin because the fact of the matter is you're going to dig yourself into a hole so freaking deep you're going to start dragging other people in with it and then you're going to start getting comfortable there and it's going to start feeling like you're kind of in the light. And that's a, that's a dangerous place to be in. In terms of encouragement, um, I had a great professor my freshman year, Torgerson, who was like, uh, if you're eaten up by sin, if it like is crushing you, that's a good, that's a good place to be in. It's cold comfort at the time. That's a good place to be in. It means that your conscience is still activated. It means that you genuinely are struggling against it. So it's like that balance. You got to embrace and be like, okay, I'm going to have grace with myself. But at the same time, I'm also not going to, you know, embrace this kind of, well, there's grace. So should we sin? So grace may abound <laughs> by no means. Uh, and it's in- until you can really have a sense of perspective about it, until you can really counsel yourself in that regard, you know, put yourself on the couch. You know, if, if sexual types of sin are the things that you specifically struggle with, how insanely good would it feel if there was a guy who came to you and said, I feel like I can trust you. This is what I struggle with. Would you go, oh my gosh, you pervert, I'm going to kill you? (laughs) No. You would go, oh my goodness, I can understand that you hate yourself right now. So if if there's anyone who struggles in that regard, be like, everyone has much more grace than you give them credit for. Other people are going to have more grace with your sin than you give yourself, most likely. And that's not just a therapeutic thing. You actually can't start showing grace to others until you have that grace for yourself. And that's where I think the way forward comes from. Until a majority of Christian men start to have the grace with themselves to be like, it's not that big of a deal. It's a sin. It's It's bad. We shouldn't do it. But we, we need to understand that it's bad enough that we need to take it seriously enough to stop it. And stopping it's going to require us to not hate ourselves enough to constantly like be like, oh, poor me. Because once you get to that point where you can start sincerely grappling with that and, and embracing the upshot of a healthy sexuality, then you can start actually talking about, okay, what does it look like to start repairing some of the damage that we've inadvertently caused because i don't think any man sets out at the beginning of the day like you know it's gonna be great if i oppress women today i mean maybe there are some but like you know i don't necessarily think that was ever the goal 
I think it was accidental. And I think so in that regard, if I can ask for it, grace from women for fools like myself. Um, you know, you said it's very humble of me to admit it. I maybe it's prideful of me. I actually like giving people ammo against me because it just makes me like feel good about it, being like, you know, oh yeah, you know, these people hate me for something that I know better of now. Like, you know, so it's it's easy for me to admit it, but I know there's probably a lot of guys out there who the guy who probably has made you feel awful about your body, about who you are, about your own sexuality, chances are he's horrified by himself. Does it make what he does right? No, of course not. Mm-hmm. He's carrying his own, his own weight. Mm-hmm. And that's probably part of why he's lashing out at you. If there's any way for you to not take it personally, if there's any way for me to give you the permission to say he's not mad at me, he's not mad at me personally or my sexuality, he's mad at himself because he can't really, he feels trapped. He feels trapped in that prison of shame. And yeah, there's nothing I can do about that because I can't control him, but it's not me. It's not my fault. You know, that's... I hope freeing in some regard and at least we'll give some grace to the guys who kind of need to admit that they've done some of that damage because I did that damage. I was that guy. One of the worst regrets in my life is I gave advice to a friend of mine who was a, you know, a girl in high school that she shouldn't go on a date with this dude. And the dude was a total skeevy perv. And then after she found that out, she came and talked to me about it. And my response was, I was just looking around. I was like, I told you so you idiot it's gonna haunt me forever i can't take that back why on earth would i ever think that was okay because here was a girl going on dates which i desperately wanted to do but no girl would ever like me right i didn't even (laughs) like myself so you know it was just me taking out my own aggressions it was me taking out my own hatred and i can't take those words back and that's probably going to be with her forever and i don't know what I can ever do to fix that really there's a lot of damage that can't be undone so if there's any way I can help undo that damage by saying like it's not you it's not your fault okay you know men and women are different in that regard that would be the way forward in my opinion would be both sides just understanding the other side is carrying crosses they're never going to see and to appreciate that and to sincerely genuinely be like you're not disgusting you're not gross okay it's just I I think a lot of times we hate the other person's sin because we hate ours too much you know can you hate sin too much I think so in the regard to you're going to hang on to it past its point of being killed Mm -hmm. if you're holding sins against yourself and it's turning into that shame you are absolutely hating that too much because now you're, you're remembering things that God himself does not remember and that's where a lot of that pain comes from. You do not hate sin more than God does. Believe me, you don't. So that would be just embrace the grace and get rid of that shame because if for no one else, be selfless enough to give that to yourself because you're not just affecting yourself. You're not going to collapse inward. You're going to affect everyone else around you. So just have the grace. No one's going to hate you. I won't hate you. John will not hate you. John will be your friend. John will be your friend. 
I have no right to judge. Yeah. I think that was a, a really beautiful message to men and to women women as a women as a can't say anything right right now as a women as a as, as, as women as, as a women as women <laughs> listening like megan yeah. and i i think both of us have been made to feel by men that in some way we're disgusting and it's just good to hear from other man like no that was from my own sin that was from my own shame and i know that men and women do this to each other but it's just good to hear because I think a lot of our experience within purity culture was made to feel like you're a temptress, you're disgusting, like to the woman, like your body is bad. And that was out of, yeah, men just not being comfortable with their sexuality. And it also reminds me of what Claire was saying of how so much, like a lot of times in dating, men hurt women because they're not afraid to fess up with how much they're struggling with their own sexual sin. And it's surrounded with so much shame. So that was really interesting that you hit on that same point. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, and really, I think that's going back to like the intro and talking about like the church fathers and stuff. Mm -hmm. They wrote it down and we all know about it. I still want to talk to those guys. Like they're still considered saints. Augustine. Like they're, right, they're still. <laughs> right. Like at the end of the day, none of us are trying to go around and cancel these people. We're trying like their yeah. writings are of great use and they're, you know, theologically incredibly, you know, so. just. Yeah, like the the there aren't enough words to talk about how profound they are. Yeah, but we still see that real side of them, mm -hmm. and it's it's just really tough. I mean, I I know how tough it is. It's a cross you have to you have to bear, and that difficulty of it is so deeply entrenched in our specific culture mm -hmm. that, and it's almost put on those kind of uh, male female relationships. From the very beginning, there's no way for you to actually have that type of friendship or have that type of, you know, mentor mentee thing. I, I mean, it's just impossible. It's everything has to be so covered in shame, so covered in sexual overtones that embracing any type of grace there is viewed as like, well, if I'm already so terrible, won't embracing grace yeah. just make it worse? Right. No, because part of the sanctifying process is you start to hate that sin more and more. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you need to understand that you, you have to get to that point where you're trusting God to do that in your life. And I'm not going to tell anyone that they're not trusting God with what they're doing because I don't know their heart. All I can do is speak to my own and talk about how I trusted God more with that and I allowed grace in my life more. Mm. When I was like, I'm not going to try and punish myself for sins. That, that, was, that is God's position to do is to discipline me in whatever way is seen fit and the punishment was already taken. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing no one any favors by just, you know, beating myself up about this. Well, I also think it's interesting too, you know, as we're talking about how this, this shame and it almost, it can look like a good thing, hating mm -hmm. sin or being ashamed of sin or sinful desires. And yet that gets so twisted in a way that is extremely harmful to yourself and others. And it's such a devious scheme of the devil, I feel like, that he would take something that, you know, it's like, oh, well, we're supposed to hate our sin, right? And he's like, that's right. And also don't accept the grace that is being extended out to you. And so I think what you're saying is so good. It's, you know, us receiving that grace that God is giving out to us is not wrong and is not going to cause us to sin more. How could it? <laughs> if you are genuinely repentant and confessing your sin and receiving that grace that God always is merciful to give us, 
that is the process that's supposed to happen. We're not supposed to reject that grace and continue hating ourselves. That is a deception that we're living into. And so I think that that's such a good point that it's, you know, it's, that's not the struggle that Paul is talking about where he's like, shall I continue sinning so grace may abound? No, someone who legitimately hates their sin is not going to want to do that. So receive that grace, take it and live into that and live into your identity as, as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, as someone who, when God looks at, sees Christ and Christ's sacrifice for you. Right. It's the, the age old question that a lot of, you know, the question that gets posed a lot of Christians is, oh, well, can, you know, can insert a sin here? Can someone who does this sin go to heaven? Can, can an alcoholic go to heaven? Can a homosexual go to heaven? Can an adulterer go to heaven? No, on all accounts, they can't. Because when you're a Christian, you're not a sinner anymore. You're a Christian who struggles with alcoholism. You're a Christian who struggles with sexual temptation. You're a Christian. You're saved. You that is, that is the point of the whole thing. And even in your thing where you're like, if you're genuinely confessing, I'm very conscious of putting like qualifiers on there. It's like a genuine confession. What would ungenuine confession look like? Right? <laughs> right? You know deep down that you hate your sin. You would not be asking yourself that question. You would not be questioning your salvation. You would not be trying to tear yourself down and say that you deserve hell yeah. if you weren't, mm -hmm. right? That's that's very different. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't want you there because you're going to put yourself into a place where you are only going to be embracing the sinful parts of you when you're defining yourself that way. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get into a point, because I did it, where you'd stop just defining yourself by that sin. You're defining everyone else by that sin, too. Right. And you're going to be defining the object of that sin by it as well, mm -hmm. which I think is why you see a lot of the complicated sexual baggage that's in a lot of Christianity. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's inherent to Christianity. I think it's inherent to humans, and we've expressed it in the true religion of Christianity. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that is oh so natural to humans and because Christians hate sin so much, we've twisted it too much. And we've started unloading it on other people. Mm -hmm. And the way back is for us to have that grace. And the way back is to realize that and be like, no, this isn't the sin. This isn't blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's not. Mm -hmm. That God won't give you the grace to make you sin more. That's not, yeah. Well, thank you, John, for coming on and for being vulnerable and open with your story and your experience and um, just the wisdom that you've brought. I think I think even just for Jackie and I sitting here, it's very healing. Um, and so I hope for our listeners as well that it's healing. Um, and that's why we're supposed to talk about these things. Mm -hmm.